Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. First Corinthians chapter two. God's word confirms it. The apostle Paul certainly believed and understood it. That in the final analysis, human slash worldly wisdom, that which is sought after apart from God, is a dead end. Ultimately, it cannot deliver what it proposes to give. Consider with me what worldly wisdom has brought to us in this world. Over time, hedonism, humanism, Marxism, communism, socialism, and the ever-present meism. Have any of these made our world a better place. There is a startling example of people glorying in and applauding human wisdom and what that resulted in. And it's found in the book of Acts chapter 12 and it's the story of Herod. And in that 21st verse, it says, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. And he was eaten by worms. And, I, and the Bible does this often throughout it, this, the scripture, <laughs> and it always adds, and he died. <laughs> I would think so. But, but the 24th verse, I so appreciate. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. Can you say hallelujah to God's word? Versus human worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom, a dead end. But God's word, his wisdom, his power flourished and continues to do so. Amen. Amen. In our day. Jesus said something so wonderful to us in Matthew 11. It's a passage, a few verses you're familiar with. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I think in this context, it would apply to the weary who have been maybe caught up in seeking after this world's wisdom and what it has to offer, leaving them high and dry and finding that it is indeed a dead end. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. When we do come, to him rather than this world, we discover there is indeed rest and peace and interestingly a rest and peace that is found 
in the power and wisdom of the cross of Christ. One writer comments, the intellectual, moral, and spiritual depth of our hearts and souls are measured by our response to these very words, come to me. And so, like I said a moment ago, Paul got this. And he pleads with the Corinthian believers to return to a life that is all about and nothing else but Jesus Christ and him crucified. In chapter 1, we saw where Paul has been telling the Corinthians, telling us, showing us the difference between the wisdom of the world and their foolish, weak things of God as the world would refer to them and think of them. What the world considers superior when actually held up to God really doesn't amount to a whole lot, does it? It does not have the power to save nor the power to change a human life. Not one bit. Only the message of the cross can accomplish these very things. So in the first five, five verses of chapter 2, Paul, we find Paul actually continuing in that very same vein that he had been talking about in chapter 1, and he's going to be showing the folks in Corinth as he's showing us the very things he was talking about and reminding them in chapter 1, he says, it's exactly what I did. He's affirming that very, that very thing. So look at verse 1 with me of chapter 2, and he says, and... So it was with me. That lets you know that he's referring to what he just got through talking about. He's saying, as, and so it was with me. In other words, Paul is saying, my approach, the way I came to you, is an evidence of the power of God in what I have been saying to you. And so, as it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. Now, in order for us to fully understand, I think, and appreciate Paul's approach with the Corinthians when he first showed up in their city, we have to be reminded, I think, and go back and understand that Paul in and of himself was indeed an intellectual giant, right? I mean, that, he was. That's who he was. Paul continues in this and saying to them, hey, we need to remember that um, not about worldly wisdom, not about flash and trying to be impressive. He says to them that as a disciple, when I came to you, I came making sure that I did nothing of that. He himself, an intellectual giant, it's not that he couldn't have, he could have. We learn in Acts that he studied under Gamaliel, a student of Gamaliel, a well-known, famous rabbi of Paul's day. Not only that, Paul would have had no problem standing and holding his ground in a debate with any critic. He could have. So it's not that Paul, as I said, could not have come to the Corinthians with eloquence or superior human wisdom, or speech. Instead, Paul chose 
not to. He intentionally chose not to. Why? Look at verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The word translated here as resolved informs us. He was, as I said, intentional in his decision, which was accompanied with a strong determination to remove himself. Hear me now. To remove himself from the equation. And let the Spirit of God have his way and do what the Spirit of God does, persuades people of the truth and the power of God's word. The Greek word for eloquence that we saw in verse 1 actually means superiority, elevation, preeminence, rising above. Paul is saying, I didn't do that. Therefore, neither should you, because when you do, you are entirely missing the point. And not only that, you're becoming a hindrance to the gospel message and its effectiveness in the souls and hearts of mankind. Paul faced the same kind of situation that we face today and in reality the same situation that all generations face, a world that stresses the philosophy of humanism, which is in its simplest form, God removed from the picture. And you, as you know, and we've talked about it before, we see once you've done that, then it makes it real simple for you to step in and assume that position. We become our own gods, right? The world, no matter its generation, is constantly seeking more and more wisdom, education, science, technology. And, and I want to be clear here, and, you know, in and of themselves, pursuing those are not bad necessarily. I mean, they've, they've been good for the welfare of mankind in, in, a, in a very real way. Here's the problem, though. Mankind seeks these pursuits within the framework of this world and forgets all about God. The one who actually is the one who provides the ability to think <laughs> and be intelligent and discover. Removes him completely from the picture. As a result, the world's wisdom, its education, science, technology, that which has become their reality and their truth is only then of this world when it is apart from God and when he's been moved out of the picture. And of course, the destiny of all that is within the world apart from God is corruption and eventually ends up in death. What better sermon could be preached to a world that is lost and staggering under the weight of hopelessness and despair than the one your life proclaims with regards to the power and wisdom 
of the message of Jesus Christ and the cross. Instead of impressing the Corinthians and heaping upon them deep, hard-to-understand spiritual concepts, Paul simply presented them with Jesus Christ and him crucified. Earlier, he had stated that God had not called him, that God had not sent him to preach with words of human wisdom. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 17. Here, as I said a little bit ago, he affirms that he had indeed fulfilled that divine design and keeping it all about Jesus. Look at verse 3 with me now. It says, I came to you in weakness, with great fear, and trembling. Both the content and style conform to the ways of God in terms of Paul's approach as it was revealed in the cross of Christ. In other words, Paul didn't speak in a way to draw attention to himself, but spoke with fear and trembling. A figure of speech displaying, actually, when you stop and think about it, the opposite of what arrogant, self-confident, and grandstanding is prone to do. Now, there are lots of ideas about what Paul meant when he mentions weakness and great fear and trembling. Some suggest that the weakness he spoke about was his physical ailments. We do know that Paul had suffered a great deal of physical abuse because of his faith in Christ. He had also difficulties with his eyesight. We learned that in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. Struggle with other illnesses, we learn that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The apostle had not come to Corinth asserting himself with human strength as the factions that had developed, at least four of them that we have seen in the Corinthian church, had begun to do. Others even suggest that when he showed up in Corinth, he was somewhat of a defeated man because of what some would think as a failure from just coming out of Athens. It's the one and only place that we, as far as we can tell in Scripture, where a church did not get established, where Paul had been. In any case, whatever it is he's referring to, he had come as a weak person. And if nothing else, he understands he has come to get and grasp the intentionality, the importance of removing himself and trying to be impressive because in that and coming as a weak person, then he was giving God carte blanche in being able for God to do what God does. He had come as a weak person and in and through his weakness, the wisdom and the power of God were on display. Look at verse 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of 
the Spirit's power. Contrary to those who had divided the Corinthian church on the basis of human wisdom and arrogance and eloquence, Paul has simply announced the testimony about God. He just simply strolled into town in weakness, fear, and trembling and was telling God's story. He had testified to what, had, uh, to what God had done through Christ. In his view, as far as Paul was concerned, to preach the gospel was indeed to make plain what God had done in sending his son into the world. The statement in verse 4, my message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, should not be misunderstood by us to suggest that Paul is saying and encouraging and favors incompetent preaching or poorly presented conversation or speeches or, as I would even say, shooting from the hip. <laughs> He is not saying that at all. He emphasizes the simplicity of the message by simply adding what we saw in verse 2, and him crucified. The crucifixion, as we have already previously learned, as the way of salvation was the most offensive part and dimension of the gospel message, wasn't it? Stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. But it was nevertheless, and Paul is convinced of it as you and I need to be, nevertheless the power of God for salvation. The demonstration of the Spirit's power not only refers to the fact that the miraculous accompanied Paul's preaching, but it also is referring to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the Corinthians initially at their conversion. Because as we've already said, human wisdom does not have the ability nor the power to save lives or change lives, right? Only God's Spirit can do that. And Paul is saying it was the demonstration of my approach and the Spirit's power that shows us that, gives us the evidence of that. This means that it was far more than a mere intellectual conversion through any kind of human wisdom. They had encountered the Spirit of God Himself. This is why I think Paul says in verse 5, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul simply declared God's word in the power of the Spirit. He's not relying upon clever rhetoric or flash. He was just simply an ambassador of Jesus, and he wasn't a Christian salesman. Do you remember the promise Jesus gave us? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit 
comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Acts 1.8. Came across a little story that I thought was so poignant and impactful that I want to share with you this morning. It's about a church that had a beautiful stained glass window just behind the pulpit. On one particular Sunday morning, they had a guest speaker who was not as tall as the regular pastor who preached there. So a little girl was listening to the guest speaker for a little bit and then finally leans over to her mother and says, Mom, where's the guy that usually stands up there and covers up Jesus? And I thought, wow, what a powerful message for us. Whether it's preaching behind the pulpit or sharing with a friend or stranger about Jesus Christ, let's be sure that it is him that is being seen, that it is him that is being heard, that it is him that is being lifted up and glorified. May we do our best to be like Paul and be intentional in removing ourselves. And here we are again in getting over ourselves, right? right. Our biggest problem, you know, the meism I talked about in the beginning today, getting over ourselves. May we be intentional to get over ourselves, to remove ourselves from the equation. Paul gloried in the cross of Christ, Galatians 6.14 tells us, and made it the center of his message, made it the center of his life. Paul did not depend on himself. He became nothing so that Christ could be everything. Paul depended on the power of the Holy Spirit. He knew it wasn't his ability that gave his ministry its power. It was the work of the Spirit of God. His preaching was, as we've just read, a demonstration, not a performance. And interestingly, the word translated demonstration that we find here actually means legal proof, evidence that would be used in a courtroom. Paul had come to realize that his weaknesses and the way he approached ministry with simplicity was an amazing evidence in and of themselves of the power of God. The Holy Spirit used Paul's preaching to change lives. And that was all the proof that Paul needed. <laughs> Think about that, folks. All the proof that he needed that the message was indeed from God. Awful sinners, horrendous sinners, extraordinary sinners like us were being saved and transformed by the power of God's word. You see, Paul wanted them to trust in God and not in the messenger that God had sent. 
And they were guilty of that with those other groups that had started. Had he depended on human wisdom, had Paul depended on human wisdom and presented the plan of salvation as some kind of a philosophical system, then the Corinthians would have been putting their trust in an explanation. And that would lend to emptiness. It would eventually be a dead end, wouldn't it? But because Paul declared the word of God in the power of God, the Corinthian converts put their faith in a demonstration. They undeniably experienced God at work in their very own lives. In other words, they became living witnesses. They became their own evidence that God's word is indeed powerful to save and to change lives. Didn't intend to say this, but right now I want you to ask yourself, as I would ask myself, is your life an evidence to those who know you, live around you, work with you, that God's word is indeed alive and well and saves and changes lives, transforms you because you no no longer look like or sound like this world, but becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Someone has said, when you are leading people to Christ, never tell them that they are saved because they've done this or that. It is the job of the Holy Spirit (laughs) to convince them and let them know that they are indeed born again. Unless it is he, God, Holy Spirit, that is at work, there can be no salvation. I think that's pretty wise counsel. What do you think? The gospel is still God's power to change people's lives, as Paul would reiterate in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Effectiveness in evangelism, folks, please hear me, does not depend on your clever arguments or your ability to debate or persuasive skill, but on the power of the Spirit of God. It kind of comes down to this, do you really truly believe what you say you believe? In the power of the Spirit of God, the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. In Paul's weakness, fear, and trembling, and lack of eloquence and flesh, God more than made up for. Amen? And he will for you and, and, and myself. He'll more than make up for in supernatural power. His grace was indeed and is abundantly sufficient. Amen? Paul was convinced of a dynamic spiritual truth of which I think we need to constantly be reminded and maybe even at times convinced of human wisdom and power at its best cannot get people into the kingdom of God. Only the simplicity of the gospel 
applied to the heart by the Holy Spirit can humble people and lead them to renounce this world and its ways and to embrace the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Paul would later write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, quoting from Psalm 116, verse 10, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. I love that. I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, Paul would write. Paul says, basically in real simple terms, I speak that which I believe. We find the same principle alive and well in Hebrews 11, where we read that the worlds were framed like a carpenter frames a house, that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So too, we frame the world in which we live by the words we speak. Speak words of grumpiness, doubt, fear, Cynicism, unbelief, and that's the world you and your family will inhabit. But speak words of faith, faith based upon the powerful word of God, such as he is with me always, Matthew 28, 20. That all things work together for good for those who love God. Romans 8, 28. That greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. Do this. Speak this. Believe this. And you will find yourself being renewed day by day. Even when you're going through tough, difficult, hard times and you know what others will be watching and they will see that the power of God's word really is real and makes a difference Paul could have now we've already previously mentioned walked into Corinth an intellectual giant but he didn't but from a whole different point of view because of what was going on with him physically and all the beatings he had taken, Paul could have walked into Corinth murmuring, complaining, doubting, whimpering, crying. But that's not what he chose to do. It's like Paul was saying, yes, I've been going through tough times, which is why I came to you in weakness, fear, and trembling, but what I have, what I believe, I proclaim to you. The power and the message of the cross, Jesus Christ, 
and him crucified. And we know because of what we see in Scripture and what we see in Acts chapter 18, which tells us all about Paul in Corinth, that when he made that proclamation and when he did it in the weakness, fear, and trembling, God turned Corinth upside down. Homes were invaded. Businesses were invaded. Back alleys where unheard of things would have taken place were invaded. People came out of their nooks and crannies to listen to the message of God's word. Not because Paul could entertain a crowd, simply because they were hearing and encountering the living God. And it was making all of the difference. I want to finish up with kind of a challenge for us here. Paul lived in a constant acknowledgement of God. Here's the challenges, company with a question for you. How often do you, do we, acknowledge him throughout our day? I mean, I want you to think about that. Do you, is it just on automatic pilot and you're just going through your day, counting on you, depending on you, going with your smarts, your wisdom, whatever? How often and how much throughout your day are you acknowledging God? And my prayer is that if it's coming up short, and even right now as you're realizing, man, you know what? That's a good question, Dave. Because I don't know that I'm acknowledging him a whole lot throughout the day. Oh, yeah, there are times I might think about him. And those times typically is when, God, help. (laughs) But other than that, are we acknowledging him as our Lord and Savior, our King, our God? Please do pray that God will help you do like Paul did, acknowledging and fulfilling God's divine design when it comes to proclaiming and trusting these very words. Amen. And just real quickly, with regards to Jesus being the way, truth, and life, someone has written something I thought that is just so good. It says, apart from the way, Jesus being the way, there is no going. Apart from the truth... There is no knowing. And apart from the life, there is no living. Lord, we come before you this morning and we're just so thankful for your word and the power that it contains to not only save us, but to change us and to transform us. The question was put out just in the end here, Lord, that how, how often are we actually acknowledging you throughout our day? Even in the midst of our busyness and whatever, are we acknowledging you? Or are we just going through the motions, putting it on automatic pilot, relying upon ourselves rather than upon you? I ask God that you help us. I pray, Lord, that we would become extremely resolved in our own hearts to be intentional with getting over ourselves 
removing ourselves from the equation so that we can just simply trust your word. And as we would live for you, that our very lives would become sermons for you, that we would be trusting you, believing in you in a way that says we really do believe what we say we believe, evidenced by our lives. God, I pray that you help us in these things, especially in these days in which we are living. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com.